But when you decide, okay, this is the date I'm going to leave, you write that date on a post-it note, you put it on a mirror that you see every single day. And when you see it, you ask yourself, what's one thing I can do today to get me closer to being ready for that date? Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Amy Porterfield, online marketing expert and author of the new book, Two Weeks Notice. But before we get into her story, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, this weekend, we had the long weekend with Monday off. So we just took in mostly uh, worked on projects. So I had to rip up a lot of my deck back a couple of months ago. And so I finally got that completely rebuilt with all the supports and everything. We're also trying out this floating shelf where you take a just an Ikea floating shelf and cover it in concrete to make it look like you have like a legit built-in concrete shelf. And then the last thing is going through some comparisons for different companies about uh, looking at solar. So Austin has some really good rebates or some federal tax credits. And timely enough, we actually just got to notice that our electric rates are going up as well as the amount of money they pay you for excess energy that you create via solar. So it's kind of a win-win timing right now. So that's the other thing we're looking at. How about you, Cody? Definitely have noticed that electricity has gone up. I know I mentioned a couple months back, we had finished a rehab and we're finishing up getting this place tenanted. But last month's electric bill, because it has electric heat in the kitchen and bathroom, was like a couple hundred dollars more than it was the previous month. And it was freezing cold. It got down to like negative 17. We had a couple pipes burst. It was a whole ordeal. It wasn't too fun. But yeah, electricity is definitely getting more expensive. And funny you mentioned floating shelves. It's not as fancy as what you're building, but I just installed what I'd like to call some floating cat shelves for our cat Fang. And they're just kind of shelves that he can jump up all the way on the wall. He can get up probably like nine feet high. Like it's I can't even touch him when I'm sitting on the ground and he loves it. He loves being above everybody and kind of just hanging out. So that was a little project. I got knocked out and it was just kind of a local weekend for me, hanging out with friends and doing some hikes and also knocking out some computer projects as well for the businesses. But Justin, that's enough about us and what we have going on. Let's talk about our guest for today, Amy Porterfield. So this was one of those episodes I was super excited to record. Amy is actually one of the podcasts I listen to on the regular. It's online marketing made easy. She's just a business whiz. Like She's a multi, multi seven-figure, probably eight-figure entrepreneur. And she's actually just launching her first book, Two Weeks Notice. And I think it was like 14 years ago. You'll hear her full story in the episode. But 14 years ago, she kind of has this crisis and decides that the corporate life isn't for her anymore, even though she was absolutely crushing it. She's like working with Tony Robbins. She's making a lot of money. She's leveling up. But she decides this isn't for me anymore. And she kind of makes a game plan. And she follows through that game plan. And now she's a successful entrepreneur she is today. And what we talk about in this episode is for those who are just kind of feeling on the fence. And, you know, we've had so many of these stories on the file show before. Something just doesn't quite feel right. Like maybe they want to go out and do something on their own. Maybe they're just in the wrong company. But this is all about putting in that two weeks notice, the name of her book, and like the actual tactical steps that you need to take to get there and you know deliver the message right to your boss, position yourself to make the most amount of money, position yourself where you're not going to be crashing financially hard or mentally afterward and a whole bunch of other tactical stuff when it comes to quitting your job. Yeah, Cody, we've definitely had a lot of people on the show in the past who have walked away from a corporate job, but it's cool to actually have one where we're going step by step on what to do in order to do that. I mean, obviously, the book is going to have even more detail than we go over in the episode, but having someone who had a good job decided 
there's going to be a different way they're going to walk away from it. Also, not hitting success right out of the gate, like realizing, oh man, I'm like hitting a lot of the same issues that I had when I did have a normal W two job, like feeling like I have a boss, not making as much money as I would like to, and just going through how she got past those failures and just all the little steps she took in order to build something and make it a blueprint so that other people can follow in her footsteps. So if you've been really interested in thinking about like, how can I walk away from my corporate career and maybe build something of my own, or, or maybe you know someone who would like to do that, you can find the links to that, get a copy of Amy's new book, all that over at thefyshow.com slash Amy. That's thefyshow.com slash A-M-Y. Take it away, Amy. When I was in college and then right out of college in my first nine to five job, I always thought I would be a corporate girl. I was actually really good at being an employee. I love to climb that corporate ladder. I love to get promotions and awards and get recognized for my hard work. I love to be an overachiever and wow my bosses. Like I was really good at all of that. So I just figured that's where I was meant to be. Corner office, I'd always have a boss. I'd always have benefits. I'd always have a regular paycheck. And then everything kind of changed for me a little bit down the road. But before I get there, I just really thought that that was my path. Never once did I think I will be a business owner or one day I'm going to be an entrepreneur. The word entrepreneur wasn't even part of my vocabulary. So that's what it looked like for many, many years. And I had some amazing jobs from publishing to working in marketing for Harley Davidson, to my very last corporate job where I was with peak performance coach Tony Robbins for almost seven years as the director of content development, which meant I got to travel the world with Tony, work on the content that he does at Unleash the Power Within and Date with Destiny. If you know Tony, you know those events. Work on his digital courses. Like It was amazing. I got paid well. I got treated well. All of that was amazing. So you'd think like, I'd probably stay there and just kind of continue to climb the ladder, except one meeting changed my life. You want me to tell you about it? Absolutely. Yeah. Is this the okay. meeting where you realized that everyone was talking about freedom? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So in the very first chapter of the book, I talk about this meeting where Tony brought in a bunch of internet marketers to talk about their businesses, what they sell, how they do it, what it looks like, because Tony was getting more into the online space and selling digital courses. It was all men. There were no women at that table, except I was called in to take notes, which is very humbling, just to say the least. And yeah, these guys went around and talked about their businesses. And all I heard was freedom. They talked about their lifestyle, the white space, the time they had to create and be their own boss and call the shots. And I thought, I don't even know what these guys are doing, but I want a piece of it. So it was that moment, that meeting that I thought, I'm not free. I never really have been. And I want the kind of freedom that I get to call the shots. So I had no idea what I would do. I felt like I had no skills to be an entrepreneur, but I was going to figure it out. So that's when everything changed. And just to give the audience like a little bit of a better picture of maybe what you would end up walking away from, like what was yeah. your work-life balance like? What was your pay like? Like what was the life that you had built in the corporate world? So this is a great question. I've never been asked it like that before. So what did it look like? I worked probably 60, 70 hours a week. So I worked a lot. Working for Robbins, it's an intense job, but so incredibly rewarding that it feels exciting all the time, but very, very stressful. And so I traveled a lot. In my last year, I was probably on the road 
70% of the time, like I traveled a lot near the end. I was newly married, never saw my husband. So that was like a big one for me as well. But I got paid at the time. This was like 15 years ago. I was making, I think probably somewhere between like 80 and 100,000, which felt like so much money to me for the record. And I got great bonuses and was working five days a week, but then weekends if we were traveling. But travel meant Australia, Philippines, London. Like it was so cool, but rarely did I kind of see outside of a conference room or a big arena more like it. So I was constantly in it, but I got to work with creative people, people that were doing amazing things inside the business. I got to pitch and catch with Tony when he worked on his content. Like it was a really, really cool job. So as someone who is working 60 hour weeks and you're working with Tony Robbins and we know that guy doesn't slow down. So you're probably working quite a few weekends. How do you start to carve out the time to pursue entrepreneurship and start a business of your own? So when I decided that I think I need to figure out how to go out on my own, it was probably a year from that meeting till when I actually took the leap. And in that year, I started to make moves. And I talked to my students about this. I started to look for opportunities that could actually help me become my own boss down the road. So at the time, the business was going through a restructure and I was in the content department and I asked if I could move over to marketing. I had some skills that would translate over there. We were starting to do big launches. I wanted to learn how to launch and I knew I could add value and they said yes. And so that was one of my first big moves. And then because there was some transition, I asked if I could work from home a day or two a week because some of the team was actually starting to work from home and they said yes. And so my lesson here is you don't know if you don't ask, they, you might think they'll never go for this, but if you're a valued employee, they might. And so I started to kind of change around what my days look like. I started to wake up earlier to work on my side business. So I started a side hustle, which was essentially doing social media for small businesses. And I took like one or two clients in the very beginning. I worked really early in the morning when my family was still asleep late, late into the night and the weekends that I had them free, I was working on this. So it definitely was hustle mentality, which I don't encourage all the time. But in the beginning, it's going to look a lot like that. Love the, you walking us through what you did, those kind of tangible things, those steps that you took to start to make that transition. For those listening, if they're starting to consider, hey, maybe the nine to five is also not for me and I'm wanting to start to think about this entrepreneurial world, do you have some broader tips that, you, you know, maybe you've picked up from coaching other people or other, you know, ways you've seen other people get to that entrepreneurial place, like just the actions they can take to build that bridge? Because for most people, you just doing the nine to five and then boom, you cut it off and you go do your entrepreneurial thing. Amen. And I don't recommend that at <laughs> all. So yeah, I call it the runway. You've got to set up a runway between when you decide, you know what, I think I want something different. You look around and you realize, you know, my boss I don't want that trajectory. I don't necessarily want to aspire to where they're at. I don't really love the work I'm doing, or I never see my family anymore, or I hate to be on the road, whatever it might be. You start to look around and realize this isn't my end all plan. And if the plan is I want to be my own boss, you need a runway. The first thing you want to do is you want to start thinking about why. Why do you want to be your own boss? Because that why is so incredibly important. It's going to get harder before it gets better. There's a strategy I teach called the path to possibility. And the path to possibility looks like this. You're in the present. You know the present. You're comfortable here. You know how to navigate where you're at, but you're not happy or you want something more. 
to get to the possibility, which is ultimately your end game, you're being your own boss, starting your own business, making more money. That's your possibility and you want it bad. The only way to get there is to travel through pain. I can't even sugarcoat it. There will be pain and challenges along the way. I don't know one entrepreneur that wasn't faced with pain and challenges to get to where they are at today. So if you embrace that and think, okay, it's gonna be there, the thing that gets you through that pain is your why. Why do you want this? Why is it important to you? For me, my why was I didn't wanna be told what to do, when to do it, or how to do it. I didn't wanna be on someone else's time or someone else's dime ever again. There's a switch that turned in me like, I have to call the shots. So that was very clear. That was my initial why. Today, my why about why I do what I do looks very different, but it was very selfish and that's okay in the very beginning. So you gotta get clear on that why because on the days that your worries knock you down, your why is gonna pick you up, I guarantee it. That's the first thing, but that's a mindset thing. Let's get a little bit more tactical. Let's choose an exit date. This is part of your runway. You've gotta decide when you're going to leave your nine to five job. It might be three months from now, six months, one year. I don't want it to be any longer than a year. I don't think that is necessary. But when you decide, okay, this is the date I'm going to leave, you write that date on a post-it note, you put it on a mirror that you see every single day, and when you see it, you ask yourself, what's one thing I can do today to get me closer to being ready for that date? Because come hell or high water, I'm making it work. That date, I'm keeping that commitment to myself. I gotta get ready for it. And so actually putting a date out there is so incredibly important. And then the third thing is a lot of money anxiety comes up when you think about leaving your comfortable every other week paycheck with benefits job. You think, what if this doesn't work? What if I don't make enough money? Money anxiety is very real. So the first thing is, let's say you're gonna leave in six months. Let's start to put together a little financial plan. You're not gonna have a huge nest egg. Most people don't. You don't need it to start an online business. But putting a little money aside, making some sacrifices over the next three to six months to have a little extra money will ease your mind a bit. But also, starting a side hustle, like I did. I took a few clients making a little extra money kind of to see if I could make this work, gave me the confidence to eventually take the leap and leave. So getting clear on your why, getting that exit date somewhere that you see it every single day and starting to think about a little bit of a financial plan that might look like a side hustle, all of these things are going to help you ease into officially taking the leap. So if you're someone who's defined their why and you've done all the action steps you just talked about and you think you're ready financially and you have the sticky note on your mirror, you have that exit date, but then you make the leap. And now it's kind of all up to you to make things happen. There's no boss telling you what to do. How do you formulate your day as an entrepreneur? Like, how do you figure out what things to focus on, what things to leave alone? And like, again, you have no one telling you what to do. It's all on you. If you make a lot of money, awesome, that's on you. But if you don't make a lot of money, it's also on you. It's not just the flat salary that a lot of people are comfortable with. So true. So one of the first things you want to think about is what could I create a business around? Like, what could I sell? What offer could I make to bring in money? Now, here's the thing I want everybody to hear. Whatever you sell in the very beginning to make some money is not your end all be all. It doesn't define your business. It doesn't define everything you do moving forward. It's just a means to get things started. So like the first money I ever made was I sold audits of social media pages, like Facebook pages. I would audit your page, tell you what you're doing well and what you can improve on. Basically it was $300 and that's what people paid me for. And so I had to start somewhere. I knew I could give good audits and that's how I started. 
So thinking about what could you offer that doesn't have to be super spectacular because making money online changes everything. The first dollar you make, you realize, holy cow, maybe I could do this. If you could sell one audit or one digital course or one product online, you could sell a hundred. So it's really getting into the action or making the decision that I'm going to make some money online. So really quick, I want to take you through the sweet spot, something I teach in the book, because this is going to help people come up with what might I want to sell in the very beginning, because that's what you're going to do. You're going to start to put together an offer. So the first thing is in the sweet spot, there's four quadrants. The first quadrant is what are you good at? Where have you gotten results for yourself or for somebody else, like a client in your business and in your personal life? What results have you seen that you could replicate for somebody else or help somebody else get those kind of results? Big or small, don't judge it. What are you good at? What do people ask you about, questions about, and where have you seen results? Quadrant one. Quadrant two is when you think about who you want to serve, what are the challenges they have? What are the pain points? Where can you provide solutions? So based on what you're good at or where you've gotten results, how can you help them with these challenges that they're having? So getting clear on who you want to serve and the challenges they have, always a great idea in the beginning. The third quadrant is where are people spending their money? So if you think about what you're good at and what you could teach or what you could serve or how you could serve, ask yourself, are there books, podcasts, other digital courses, products, coaching around that topic? And if the answer is yes, that is a very good validator that you should keep moving forward. Now, this is the time that I have to say, some people think, well, it's already being done, Amy. There's no room for me. It's being done and they're doing it way better. When I came on the scene, I used to teach Facebook. There were so many people way better than me teaching Facebook marketing. If I let that stop me, I literally wouldn't be here talking to you today. So there's over 7 billion people in this world. There's enough room for you. And it's a good thing if it's already being done because there's a validation there. The fourth and final quadrant is what lights you up. Not what's your life's purpose. What is your number one mission in life to change the world? Just what do you enjoy? What lights you up? Because you're going to be doing this morning, noon, and night. So we got to make sure you enjoy it so you stay in the game. So this is what you want to think about when you're just starting out and you are calling the shots. Let's figure out how we're going to make some money. And the only other thing I'll say is what goes along with making an offer is creating content, putting out a podcast, making videos, posting on social media, getting your ideas out there. Content creation is essential to any business. So that's another area where you're going to focus on in the beginning. You're going to create a lot of content. Well, I love that you're talking about like basically not getting overstressed about that first initial product, obviously putting thought into it, but realizing it's probably not what you're going to be selling your entire career right. is running your own business. But for like your situation, right? You're doing the Facebook audits for like $300, obviously not what you're doing today. No. For those listening, like what are some of the signs maybe to look for of thinking, how do you progress and when do you progress to that next level, that next stage? Okay. I love this question because you're going to start out with something hopefully kind of simple so you can get it out there. Simple sales page, put it out there, talk about it on social. But you're going to get to a point that you're like, this isn't ultimately what I want to do. And you're probably going to have way bigger financial goals. The beauty of being an entrepreneur and building an online business is the sky is the limit. The amount of money and impact you can make will absolutely blow your mind. So you're going to start thinking, wait, I want to do something bigger. So start to look around at business models. What are other people doing? And look how they're packaging their offers. Is it a digital course? That's my specialty. It's what I teach people how to do. 
putting together a digital course that you can sell over and over and over again, there's your consistent revenue. Is it a digital course? Is it a membership that you create? People pay $39 a month and they get content from you monthly. Maybe that's something that you want to do. Is it a physical product? Is it coaching, consulting? There's so many different things that you could do. You could be a service provider. You could build web pages for people. You could train their dogs. There's so many different service-based businesses you can create. So I think one of the things to do to kind of elevate to the next level is think, what? how do I want to deliver this? And then start thinking about what would you actually put into that digital course or that membership. But I think the two are important the topic, the offer, but also how you're delivering it. And you can make a whole lot more money with a digital course than let's say doing individual audits for people. So that's another thing you wanna think about. How can I multiply myself? If you just do one-to-one all the time, you will always hit a ceiling. But when scaling a business, how can you do one-to-many? That was actually the next thing I was gonna talk about because I think you do an awesome job on your podcast and, and your new book that I'll hopefully be reading soon. Talking about like the difference between active and passive income, because in your circumstance, let's say you just quit the Tony Robbins thing, you're making 80K a year, and then you're trying to replace that income doing $300 Facebook audits. You just built yourself an 80 to 100 hour a week job and quit that 60 hour a week job. So like you have to build something that's scalable and has some element of passive income. So I was hoping maybe you could define like active income side hustles versus passive income side hustles and then get into the nitty gritty a bit more about like how to actually start to build those out. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. Okay, so you're exactly right. If you are actively making money in your business every single day, and when I think of active is like you are doing it. So a service-based business where you are the only employee in the beginning, which is very normal, means that you are doing one-on-one coaching or you are consulting in some way or you're literally doing the work for someone. Now, the beauty of something like that is people will pay a pretty penny for one-on-one coaching with someone or do my website for me versus teach me how to do my website. They'll pay for that. But again, there's only one of you. So that is not a scalable business if you don't plan to bring on more coaches or more service providers, which you could absolutely do like an agency. But I am very biased to more of a passive type of income or a way to do one to many. So if I'm thinking about, let's say, digital courses, and if I create a digital course, this is exactly what I do in my business. Years ago, I created a course called Digital Course Academy, 2019. And so Digital Course Academy is this $2,000 program teaching people how to create courses. Very meta, but that's what it does. And so I have launched that two, three, four, five, about eight times 
since I created it once. Like the initial creation took so much blood, sweat, and tears. Like that was really difficult to create this beautiful big program, but now it's done. And what I teach my students is find something that you do well and let's do it again and again and again. One of my biggest lessons from Tony Robbins was entrepreneurs who always start over, always recreate the wheel, always start from scratch are the ones that are not growing. The people that actually create something that they just make better over time, that's where you're seeing that consistent revenue and it becomes more passive. So the reason I love digital courses so much is you create that course once and now you can launch it again and again and again, either on Evergreen, like I have another program, I make money from it every single day. I remember when I was first starting, this guy kept saying, you can make money while you sleep. And I'm like, he sounds like a used car salesman. Like that doesn't <laughs> even feel real. I thought he was like kind of a little bit creepy. And then I created a digital course and I made it automated that you could buy it every day in an automated webinar. And I'm literally waking up and I made money while I was sleeping. That was like life-changing to me. So when you start to think about what you want your business to look like, yeah, we have to back up. What do you want your life to look like? Do you want to spend more time with your family? Do you want to be home at three o'clock to pick up your kids? Do you want to make sure you're there for dinner time? Look at the life that you want and then build a business around that because you could build a business and do anything. You could work 80 hours or you could work 30 hours and those people could make the same amount of money. So you have to really get smart about what you want in your life, how you want your lifestyle to look like, and then start building a business around that. And digital courses, I'm biased, but is a great way to do it. And speaking of like iterating and just kind of refining a product, I don't know if you had some stories you'd want to share where maybe you launched something and how you were able to gain feedback and to know what to do, what to change about it to make it even better. Oh, I love this question. Okay. So back in the day before 2019, when I created that course, I told you about, I actually had two digital courses. One was called courses that convert and another was called webinars that convert. So if you got courses that convert, you would learn how to create a digital course, but then you'd have no idea how to sell it. But if you got webinars that convert, you learn how to sell a digital course, but literally not have a digital course to sell. So the feedback I would get is like, these courses are great. They tell you exactly what to do, but then I'm stuck afterwards. Either way, I feel stuck. And that kind of feedback like sunk me. I thought I'm doing something wrong here because my students now feel like I'm leaving them high and dry after they're finished my course. So what I decided to do is I decided to take two different courses and put them together. And so I now Digital Course Academy is how to create a course and how to launch a course. It's all in one. I could charge more because it's more robust. And so the first thing is listening to your students. When they're gonna tell you where they're struggling, what they need more of, what they love, this is all intel, it's absolute gold. So I learned early on how to listen to my students, kind of read between the lines when they ask questions, and then I just started to survey them. I would send out a five question Google survey just saying, what do you think of this? Where did you get stuck? What did you love? So I got better at surveys, but in the beginning, it was just me listening a lot. So fast forward to having Digital Course Academy, and like I said, I've launched it eight or nine times, but every time I make it better, but I don't change a bunch of things because then that's overwhelming and I'll never have time to do that and launch again. So I'll take two or three areas that I know I could do better. So for example, if there's a module that people are getting stuck on because they've given me feedback, before I launch it again, I might fix or re-record that one module. 
Or if I did my webinars and they were converting at 10% and I wanted them to convert at 12%, that's a lot more sales, just 2%. I start learning. I start watching other people's webinars. I take a course. I work with a coach to figure out how can I make this better? I'm not making everything better, just my webinar. So I've learned to really focus on just a few core things. And it's been my secret sauce. I created something great and I launch it over and over and over again. You rarely see me recreate the wheel and you rarely see me have 10 different things spinning in the air. I like to do a few things really well. And that has always been my secret to success. So let's say someone starts to get the wheel spinning and they have a successful business. They have the post-it note on their mirror. I'm going to use a question with the title of your book in it, talking about a two weeks notice. What's yeah. like the best way to go to formulate that? Because, you know, the last thing you want is for someone to quit their job prematurely, burn bridges because they send like some vicious two-week notice, like, I hate this place. I'm finally <laughs> out of here. What's like the way to lay it down easy on the boss and let them know like, hey, I'm going my own way and I'm pursuing this thing? Okay. I love this question because there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to do this. And no one needs to be burning bridges. And in my situation, working for Tony Robbins and working with this beautiful team, the last thing I wanted to do is burn any bridges there. So the first thing is you want to think about who do I need to tell? Like respectfully, who needs to know first based on chain of command? And I think that's important because when the wrong people hear it first, the right people that should have known, they're going to get frustrated. So you're looking at your managers, you're looking at the people you manage, whatever it might be. And in your mind, think, okay, what is the order in which I'm going to tell? Another thing is before you tell anyone, ask yourself, how long do I want to give? You know, the book's called Two Weeks Notice, but when you've been at a company for a while or you're higher up, you might want to give 30 days. You might want to give longer. So first ask yourself, how long am I willing to stay here and make sure someone's prepared to take my role or whatever it might be? Now, your company might say, actually, two weeks is good. Or they might even say, you can quit tomorrow. Like you never know what might happen. So you want to be prepared for that, but at least get clear on how long you're willing to stay. Side note, I think one month is the longest you should stay. You've already got one foot out and one foot in. You really want to start your own business. Staying longer, you might start to get resentful or frustrated. And that burns bridges right there because people, they feel it. So just be careful with that. So once you decide who you need to tell, you write your resignation letter, if that's the way you're going to go, and you get the wheels in motion. And once those wheels are in motion, and let's say you're going to give a month and they're going to take it, you are going to show up and do your very best work in that month. You're going to wow them. You're going to leave and they're going to feel like she or he did a really good job. You want to leave with a really great feeling because you never know how these people might become your client down the road or there's some people that might work with you. You just never know. So that's important. But another thing that's important in this whole resignation thing is who you tell that's going to be in your court. So let's talk about this really quick. When I decided to leave Tony Robbins, I told three people and only three people. My husband, Hobie, my mom, who just thinks I can do everything and anything, and then my best friend. No one else got to know, meaning that I didn't share all the details because I knew there's some people that I worked with that were terrified to leave. So they're going to project that on me. I'm going to tell them I'm going to start my own business. They're going to tell me 10 reasons why that is a terrible idea to do during a recession, which is when I did it. And so... I knew that if I got that feedback, I might not ever leave. You know, Sarah Blakely of Spanx, she mm -hmm. sold her business for like a mm -hmm. billion dollars. Yeah. 
she said that when she started her business, she didn't tell anybody of her plan because she knew if they told her it wouldn't work and why it wouldn't work, she was vulnerable enough to believe it in those early days. And I totally can relate to that. So be very selective who you tell. And if when you quit, if they ask, well, where are you going? What are you doing? You get to decide how little or how much you tell based on what's comfortable for you. So remember, you are in control. You don't essentially owe them anything but a two weeks notice. But if you want to go above and beyond and not burn those bridges, you can do a little extra in order to seal the relationship when you leave. And do you see any world or value in maybe doing something that's kind of halfway in between, like where you don't fully leave? Maybe you negotiate working half time so that you can get a little bit more of an easy transition and feel a little bit more comfortable with taking a step out on your own? Absolutely. Actually, that's what I did. I forgot to say that for the last few months, I went part time, which was wild and new and different. You know, this was way before COVID days. So me being at home working was so odd in and of itself. But then knowing that now I'm only working part time, I had to take a pay cut. But remember, I started a little side hustle. So I was bringing in a few thousand dollars a month plus my salary, but now it's cut in half. I love it, but there's one caveat. I still had that notice of when I was leaving on my mirror, meaning my fear with people starting side hustles or going part-time, they'll never really take the leap. That's why we come back to the why. What do you want? Why do you want it? And we're not gonna go half in, half out. There is a cutoff date. We all need that cutoff date, but easing into it, absolutely. So we've kind of talked about some of the main blockers, why people are afraid to jump out and pursue entrepreneurship. We talked about not having the money. We talked about kind of the mental block of, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not good at anything. I don't know what business to start. I think another one that you kind of hinted at here was the social norms. Like you only told three people, Amy, when you were quitting that corporate yeah. job, because you get a lot of flack. I remember when I quit my job, like so many people, my family, my friends told me I was an idiot. My boss actually told me that I was a waste of time and resources. Like it was a whole thing. Stop but, it. <laughs> it was oh a whole thing. Gosh. But so how do you suggest people kind of get over that hump, like the social norms of quitting a cushy corporate job to go and you know, do something by yourself? Not many people do it. So you get a lot of pushback from friends and family. So the way you get over that is you ask yourself what matters most to you? Because if you didn't move forward, if you listen to your boss, if you listen to other people, what that really is saying is that you value other people's opinions way more than you value yours. And I have a good friend that says they don't pay the bills, so they don't get an opinion. And I really did subscribe to that from day one. So I knew what I wanted for my life. I also knew that entrepreneurship is very, very different than what most people will ever do. Like my sister, I love her dearly. She's a school teacher. She will never, ever be an entrepreneur because she never wants to be. She doesn't want this risk. She doesn't want a lifestyle of sometimes not knowing if it's going to work out or not. And when it doesn't, you're responsible for fixing it. That's not what she wants for her life. So she'll never understand me. I'm a little bit of an alien to her and that's okay. So you have to say to yourself, I'm doing something that most people will not do because I want a life that most people will not have. Like you have to really, really believe it. And I think one of the things that will help you as you transition out of your nine to five into this new world is you've got to fuel your brain. You've got to have inspiring podcasts in your ear every single day. You got to be reading the books that are not only telling you how to market and how to build a business, but how to keep your head in the game. There's this book. I love it. It's called The Gap in the Gain. Have you guys ever heard of it? I've listened to it on audiobook. Yeah. 
Same. That's how I did it too. And this book was so eye-opening for me about, and I won't get into all the details, but kind of to how to look at your goals and how to look at your accomplishments and your failures and all of that. But that kind of book is so important when you're just venturing out on your own. So fueling your mind instead of listening to what everybody's opinions are of your decision is a much better use of time. But it takes discipline. You've got to remember that most people will not do what you want to do. Yeah. And I also think it's important for everybody to just kind of remember like how long that that will really take before it passes anyway. Right. Like, you know, the people who are kind of giving you the pushback or think you're crazy, like it's not like that's going to define you forever. Like your entire life, your parents or your friends are going to think it's this crazy idea. It just sounds weird in the moment. Once you do it, like at the end of the day, people kind of forget, you know, like who asks you about your day job on a weekly basis or your friends anyway, they might ask you like, how's work going, but it's kind of an open-ended question. They're not really (laughs) caring about like the specifics of your job. So I think that's the other thing to keep in mind. But speaking of like, once you've actually pulled that trigger, you know, I think there's two sides to the coin on like not having a boss. So there's one where people would fear like, I need that structure. Like I need somebody to push me to make sure that I'm doing enough. But then there's the other side where it says like, now it is all on me. It is this endless amount of work. And I'm afraid like that I won't be able to set boundaries before I knew I was getting paid for basically 40 hours. And now it's kind of limitless, like you said, but that also means I could work myself into the ground. Like how do you avoid that burnout piece? Okay. I love this because in the book, I talk about non-negotiables and non-negotiables are basically putting a stake in the ground of what you will do or won't do. And I just heard my friend Ed Milet say something on social. He says, the way you build self-confidence is you keep promises to yourself first. Like that's the most important thing you could do. Keep promises to yourself. And these non-negotiables are keeping promises to yourself so you can build up the courage and the confidence to keep moving forward in your business in the way that you want to. And so the reason I wrote about this is because I had a lot of pain in the first few years of my business. I have a wonderful husband that supports me. He has since day one. But there was about maybe a year or two into building my business where he sat me down and he said, I never see you. I never see you. All you do is work. You're in your office every single hour, late into the night, weekends. Every day was a work day for me. And I was fueled and excited by it. But there was also a little desperation. Like, what if this doesn't work? What if this doesn't work? I got to make it work. So I like beat myself to the ground in working. And when I realized, holy cow, I could literally lose my marriage over this. It was like a switch went off. And I thought, I got to fix this right now. Plus, I was very, very overworked and overwhelmed. So what I did is I created these non-negotiables, things like I will not work on the weekends anymore. Like that became one of my new non-negotiables. One simple one was I will spend time with my husband in the morning. At the time, Hobie was a firefighter. He's now retired, but I didn't get every day with him because he was at the fire station. So the mornings he came home, all he wanted was 30 minutes with his wife and I never made time for it. So that became a new non-negotiable. When Hobie's home, I make time in the morning to talk with them and have coffee. It's these little things that go a long way, but I had to commit to them. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Fast forward to my business today. I have 20 full-time employees. We work a four-day work week, Monday through Thursday, eight hours a day. We take Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. And the reason I did that is I thought, I want to create a business where there is white space for everybody, not just me, so that we come in with a lot of enthusiasm and ready to work, but we also value our time away. And so I wish one of my non-negotiables way back then was a four-day work week. I think everybody can figure it out. I was just too scared in the very beginning. 
But the way you don't hit burnout like year one or year two is you start to create some simple boundaries about how you want to work. Because you have to remember the most beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur is that you are the boss. You get to decide how much you work, when you work, where you work. You ultimately get to decide. And so if you make these non-negotiables early, you start incorporating the work into the non-negotiables, meaning you're showing up exactly how you want, which means you're likely more productive and efficient. What I write in the book is all the mistakes I made and what I would do differently, things I wish people would have told me way back then. And this was a big one. I think something that ties in perfectly to what we're talking about right now is goal setting. And I've heard you talk about goal setting yeah. a lot on your podcast. Actually, when you just mentioned the gap in the gain, it kind of reminded yeah. me of like lead measures versus lag measures where you can control yeah. the inputs, but you can't control the outputs. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, recently on your podcast, you were like, I don't know if this is a few years ago or maybe the last launch, you were like super upset because you missed some multi-million dollar goal by like 100K or something like that. And yeah. that's kind of looking at the output. That's something that you can't control. Like you crushed it on your end. And I think a lot of us get in that trap. Like I've kicked myself, I've done everything I can on the input side and then been upset that the output wasn't exactly what I wanted. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs get in that trap. It's like they look at the output way too much and then don't have a game plan to focus on those inputs. So I was hoping you could kind of talk at, from a tactical standpoint, how people can get the best inputs for their game plan. Oh my goodness. This is so important because unfortunately, like I probably mentioned in that podcast episode, I learned this way later in my entrepreneurial journey, this idea of you can literally change your efforts, but you cannot change the outcome. And when I realized that, I thought all I was doing is focusing on the goal, how much money I made, what was the conversion, how many new students do we have versus all the other things that I could actually control, how I'm showing up, what I'm doing, what strategies we're using. And so that was a huge shift for me, but unfortunately it was more recent. I wish it was years and years ago. But one thing that I've learned is if I focus on the input, my efforts, how I'm showing up, how my team's showing up, at the end of that, I feel as though I left everything on the table and that outcome literally becomes less important because I'm so freaking proud of what we did. I have a quick story for you. So the one you're talking about was last year, but I recently did a launch in September of this year where I think we're about like a million dollars off about halfway into our launch. I know my number so well. I'm like, you guys, we are not going to hit our big number that we wanted for this launch. Now, I have multi-million dollar launches because I've been in the business for 14 years. So we don't compare our business to someone else's because we're on different places. I just had to put that out there for anyone listening. But regardless, here's what happened. I was about a million dollars off. I still had about four or five days left in this launch. My coach called me and he's like, how's it going? And I said, well, we're going to be about a million dollars off, but I don't know what else to do and it's going to be okay. And I didn't want to feel bad about it. So I just kind of brushed it off. And he's like, Amy, you are still in the game. No matter what happens at the end of the launch, you still can do something right now. Like your input is still very much an important factor. So he's like, you just stepped off the field, get back on. But I was so focused on the number and that I wasn't going to reach it. All I could think about is I'm going to be a million dollars off. I wasn't even thinking, what could I do to fix it? That's how bad it was. And so when he said, get back on the field, what about this? What about that? And his ideas weren't going to work out, but something he said sparked a different idea. And we ended up last minute putting together a 30 minute intensive training. It was very last minute. We charged for it, which was weird and different for my audience. So they were engaged and interested. And we did this 30 minute intensive training at the last minute, 84% show up rate, which is kind of unheard of. 
48% conversion, which is wild. And it worked so well because it was the effort that I was focused on, not the output. And at the end, we reached our goal. But I swear to you, if we didn't, I still would have felt really, really accomplished. <laughs> That's a great story and a great like kind of insight into like where your mind can go, even at the scale that you're at. Right. Like most people listening to this would think like the fact that a million dollars is even on the table, like being a little off, like right. it just shows that no matter how far you get, you're always going to kind of move the goalposts on yourself. But just to also at the end of the day, you, you got to be fair to yourself. This question is a little bit different. It's a little less about possibly about like the entrepreneurship, but you know, the full title, like two weeks notice, find the courage to quit your job, make more money, work where you want and change the world. That last bit, I was kind of curious, like, was that an intentional piece that you added? And what were you trying to get at with that last piece about changing the world? You guys are so good at interviewing because you're asking such great questions that no one's asked me. So I love it. I get excited for that. <laughs> so we almost took it off. Like I've never been asked this, so I've never been able to say this. We almost took and changed the world off of the subtitle. And the reason for that is I thought, is this too lofty? Am I making it bigger than it is? And a lot of my students who are just starting out, they're like, I'm not here to change the world. I just want to, you know, help you train your dog or <laughs> teach people how to get their kids to sleep at night or whatever. So they really think like, I, what I'm doing is not that important. And I believe that entrepreneurs change the world. I believe what we do and what we are capable of and how we can contribute is very drastically different than an employee in a nine to five job. And I also believe that helping you get your baby to sleep at night or training your dog or things that we might not think are changing the world, they are changing someone's life one person at a time. And the minute we stop getting in touch with one person at a time, we really lose touch of what we're doing in our businesses. Like we have a value in my business that every single person counts. If we have 10 people on our email list or 100,000, doesn't matter. Those people absolutely matter. And so when you start looking at your work thinking everybody that I help matters, you are changing their lives. So we are changing the world. And I want people to value what they do. So I kept it on. And I think it's really important that it's quality over quantity. If you're changing five people's lives, I'm going back because I listen to your podcast a lot, Amy, but you mentioned on the podcast that you weren't doing as well as you wanted to on TikTok. But then you kind yeah. of reshifted your mindset and you're like, listen, if the TikTok gets 200 views and I changed all 200 of those people's lives, that's yeah. huge. Like think of a room full of 200 people and the fact Thank that you're changing you. all their lives, it's amazing. So I just don't want anyone listening to get discouraged or talking about multi-million dollar numbers and they check you out, right. they'll see all the stats and the podcast downloads and how many courses you sold. But like, seriously, if you can affect one person's life, I mean, that's changing the world, right? It's changing the world for sure. And you know, I sometimes try not to talk about my multi-million dollar business or my big email list or anything like that because I know who I serve and it's the people that are just starting out. And so that's why like through the book, I tell the stories of my very first launch where I thought I would make $100,000. I sold a $297 digital course. And at the end of the day, I made $267 profit, not even enough to cover one unit of my course because <laughs> of the expenses. And that's where I started. I started in a world that every single day I told my husband, I am not cut out to do this. And when I first started in my first year, someone would leave a negative comment and I literally would stay in bed all day thinking I'm not cut out for this. And I'm so embarrassed that the whole world just saw one negative comment. 
Like I really struggled with my mindset and believing that I was cut out for this. So I want people to hear that to say like, what you hear now or see now in my business is wildly different than the first few years. And that is what's most important to remember. We all start from zero. And Amy, like you mentioned, you know, the people that you're serving are a completely different place in their journey than where you are. And so like, I'm sure that they kind of crave to see like those stories that you are telling in the book, like the early stages. Is that something yeah. that kind of you have seen and that you're able to provide to people is getting them that insight into maybe just a little bit of a less polished version of the Amy that is today? Yes. Okay. Less polished. Let's talk about that because I came from corporate. I've always been in a business setting. So when I started my business, I thought I have to look a certain way, my hair done, my makeup. I used to wear a lot of blazers in the early days and I wanted to look the part. And as I got years into my business, all I heard was, Amy, when you jump on camera and you're not like totally pulled together, that's what we love. Or when you drop the camera and it starts rolling down the <laughs> driveway. One time I did that outside. They love it. And I kept hearing this over and over again. I'm like, what is happening here? And then I realized nobody wants to see the perfect version of you at all. Nobody wants to see everything buttoned up because we feel as though we can't do that. And so if I show up always prim and proper, they can't even relate to me. And at the end of the day, I'd rather be more casual, but I just thought I had to be a certain way. And so we're doing this interview and my husband, I swear, turned up the heater. I am like sweating. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, maybe I'm just more real right now because everyone has those issues on camera where they don't look exactly how they want. But my audience loves it. And I think the lesson here for anyone listening, please just be yourself. Please just show up how you want from day one. I had to kind of let go of a persona that wasn't even me. But imagine if you get to just start from scratch and be who you are on day one, it's the most freeing experience. So I'm glad you talked about that because I think it's important. Well, I think that's a perfect place to bring this episode to a close. And I guess the kind of theme of that last part was take imperfect action. If Amy Porterfield yes. can show up sweaty on camera, you can start yes. your own business. Like you're not going to know everything and you're not going to do everything perfectly, but just getting yourself out there. And Amy, for those who have enjoyed this episode, as I thoroughly did, where are the best places for them to follow along, get the book, get in touch? Where do you want our listeners to head? Well, thanks for asking. So I created a bunch of cool bonuses for when you order the book. So twoweeksnoticebook.com will give you all the details. So twoweeksnoticebook.com. And then also I have a podcast called Online Marketing Made Easy. So if you love podcasts, which I'm guessing they do, you can go check out Online Marketing Made Easy. Thanks for asking. Well, Amy, thank you so much for the time that you gave us and the audience. And we were happy that we got to ask some questions that no one else has asked you before. Yes. So we love to uncover some of that. But yeah, again, thank you so much. You're obviously are changing a lot of people's lives and that is changing the world. So I appreciate the time. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And also, don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way, every Wednesday, you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today.
That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.